1: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're moving through Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church today in chapter 3, and here's the key concept this morning. Be bold with your hope. Be bold with your hope. It's not too long ago that the television news mentioned that we were having that particular evening what they called a supermoon. A Now, I don't know if you you remember, it wasn't that long ago, but a supermoon is basically a full moon, but a full moon on steroids. It was huge, and the light that it gave off was remarkable. I remember being out in my backyard that night of the supermoon, and really, I could see everything just like daytime, with a difference. It had that silvery light that we call moonlight, but of course... Really, moonlight is just sunlight that's reflected off the moon. The radiance of the moon really isn't self-generated. Even in a supermoon, the radiance of a moon comes from of the moon comes from another source, and that's kind of the image that. Uh, We're going to use for what Paul teaches us today regarding his commentary on Exodus 34. Because Paul remembers that in Exodus 34, when Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments, he too had a radiance, but it wasn't his own radiance. It was the radiance, the reflection of the glory of God as he had spent time receiving those Ten Commandments. His face glowed, and figuratively, he's going to make the point that we, too, should have a radiance about us as we are the followers of the one true God. So Paul talks about that scene from the Old Testament. Look at verses 7 and 8. We're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 3 today, but um, he's made, because he's making a point, and the point is the progression that God is taking us through. In verse 7, he says this, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steady at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was... Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Paul is acting like the rabbi that he is in this section of 2 Corinthians, and he's giving what what the Jews would call a midrash, or a commentary on the Old Testament. And what he does is he remembers Moses' glowing face. But what's interesting about the way he presents it is that in Paul's day, among the, the, the Jewish commentators, there was a common understanding that the face of Moses and that glory never faded. They taught that even up until his death, Moses' face glowed, shining forth the glory of God. And the reason that he had the veil uh, before his face was so that the Israelites wouldn't be blinded by the glory. But Paul, here he is, teaching like a rabbi, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives the very opposite interpretation. He says that the, that the face of Moses was actually fading, that glory was fading away, and that's why he put the veil. Look at verse 13. He says, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. The exact opposite of what the current teaching was. Maybe Moses thought that as his, that radiance was fading, maybe his authority foot would fade. But Paul is making a point that all of this is for a reason, the misunderstanding that the teaching that was common in his day pointed out the fact that the Jews continued to misunderstand what God was doing with the law. And in fact, Moses' shining face, fading little by little and day by day, was an acted out parable. And the parable that it told, uh, the lesson that it taught, was that the law, as great as it was, was temporary, it was never meant to be eternal and that it pointed the way to something new that God was doing. You see, Paul recognizes that God always had three intentions with the giving of the law. Number one, his intention was to show humanity that we have a problem, and that problem is sin, and it's a problem we all need to deal with. But number two, the law shows us that we are helpless to deal with it when we're left to ourselves because the law only brought condemnation. It set the standard, but it's a standard that no one can keep. It was always intended to point the way to God's full plan, the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Paul in Romans chapter 3 lays it out perfectly clear. He says it this way, "'Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight "'by observing the law. "'Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin.'" But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the contrast that Paul is making is we have this glory in Jesus Christ, this righteousness, this promise, and it is a permanent righteousness. It is an unfading glory much uh, as contrasted with the law that was meant to pass away. Now, what's astonishing about this is this is a former Pharisee making this point. He grew up studying the law. He grew up loving the law, rejoicing in in all that the Jews had as revealed by the one true God as over and against the pagan Gentiles. But then God showed him the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is the law was always intended to move us towards grace. And so in chapter 3, Paul contrasts that old covenant and that new covenant we have in Christ. He uses three words, uh, key words, to describe the old and then three different words to describe the new. The old, he uses the word condemnation. It establishes the standard, but we can't reach the standard, and so we stand condemned. The second word is fading. The law was always intended to fade away. It was never intended to last. And the third word about the law is veiled. Attachment to that law, to that covenant, actually uh, uh, gives a veil through which his people can't see what God is doing. Look at verse 14. This is what he says about his people, the Jews. But their minds were made dull, For to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. The three words that describe the Old Covenant are discouraging words. But listen to the three words that describe the new go down to verse 17 Now the spirit of now the spirit of the Lord the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit What are the three words that describe the new well the first word is transformation The law leaves us unchanged. We are forever lawbreakers, but in Jesus we are made new. The second word is increasing. We are to change and be transformed in a uh, never-ending way. From glory to glory, He's changing us. And the third word is lasting from verse 11. Our transformation in Him is eternal. Now, Paul makes this contrast between the old covenant and the new, to demonstrate the implications. We ought to do something about this. We need to know something about this. The first implication is this, therefore, what you have should make you bold. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And the second impl- implication is realize that 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 veil goes in two directions. There are people around you who don't understand what we have in Jesus Christ because their hearts are veiled just like the Jews' hearts are veiled. Let's talk about that second point first. Paul realizes that there are many of his own people, people who who look to the the one true God, people who worship the one true God, who follow the law, but yet they're not able to make that next step that God wants them to make to, to faith in Jesus Christ because it is veiled. And in reality, everyone, before we come to know Christ as personal Savior, we have a veil before our eyes. We have a barrier. We don't understand what it is that God is really offering us or the value of what he'll give us. All of us were there. Maybe you remember when you were there. Maybe you remember before you came to Christ, the attitude you had towards those who were Christ followers. Maybe you remember the day of your commitment to Jesus as personal Savior, and if you do, you probably remember the day before and what it was like to be outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And every time we hear the gospel message and push it away, that veil, that barrier, if you will, gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Paul has described that phenomenon before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And we were all there at some point. And that is why... The witness to your family sometimes is ridiculed. That is why when you witness to other students at school, sometimes they, they roll their eyes and they sneer at the mention of Jesus. That is why our society mocks and misunderstands the cause of Christ because there's a veil there and they don't understand. They can't grasp what it is we're saying. Don't get mad. Don't get angry. Always respond with mercy and grace Knowing this, that veil can be torn away. Look at verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away through the power of Jesus Christ. When we turn to Him in faith and in repentance. But no one turns to Him in faith and repentance without first the Holy Spirit working the work of conviction bringing about a sense of need. And how does that sense of need develop? It develops as we witness about what we have in Jesus Christ. It develops as we are part of of the force that God is using to declare our hope boldly. That brings us back to point number one. You can be a part of what God will use to bring down the veil in somebody else's heart, and somebody else's life but it means sharing what we have. Verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. I wonder if we're really bold. You see, the veil goes both ways. Not only is the heart of the person pre-Christ veiled to the truth of Christ, also sometimes we put a veil in front of our witness that ought not to be there. If the guys and the gals at work The other students at school do not see that I have been transformed because of relationship with Jesus Christ. The veil veil is in front of my witness. It's being closed off. If people in my neighborhood recognize that I drive somewhere on Sunday morning, but they have no idea where I go, the veil of my witness is down. If the ethics in your business are the same ethics as the reprobate who's just trying to make a buck and no more, the veil is down. In your home, if your family sees you to be an angry, selfish person, even though you seek to be looking like a great Christian everywhere else, the veil is down. See, lifting that veil and letting that bold hope shine out, it's not a program and it's not a class that you take. There's not a book that you read just on instructions on how to do it. It's a decision that you make to say, at the center of who I am, it's going to be Jesus. At the center of my identity, it's going to be Christ because I know that I have a hope that is permanent and irrevocable that supersedes everything else. Nothing can get in the way of that promise. Because I am His, I have a purpose in this life and a promise for the next life. And all of this hope that I have in Him is not wishful thinking. It is expectation because He's true to your word, true to His word. Let me tell you the difference between expectation and wishful thinking if i say i hope it's sunny tomorrow that's different than if i say i hope the sun comes up tomorrow one of them is expectation i have a solid expectation that the sun will come up based on every day i've lived my life based based on all i know about the universe based on my experience i expect the sun to come up tomorrow and my hope in god is no less solid based on everything i know about the lord based on all that he's done and all that he's doing I expect that there is blessing ahead and that hope produces something in me. And the first thing it produces or it should produce in all of us who know Christ as Savior is courage. Be bold with your hope. Be bold in places where it takes boldness. See, he's not saying, lift the veil just a little bit and see what happens. He's saying, rip off that veil and make sure you proclaim from the rooftops all that you have in Jesus Christ. Proclaim it where it's difficult to do so, because that's where boldness is called for. So when high schoolers gather and pray at the CU at the Pole program, and they demonstrate that they're standing up for Jesus, the veil is off. When Christian parents interact with school districts and our voices for purity and for morality, the veil is off. When believers push back against laws that codify evil, the veil is off. When the family of God are on the front lines meeting the needs of the suffering and the victims, the veil is off. When Christ followers pray on the sidewalks to save unborn children from abortion, the veil is off. When you see people in your lives and you speak words to them of the love of Jesus Christ so that they will hear the message, the veil is off and your hope is on display. That's what Paul is calling to because of all that we have in the new covenant. We have courage. Secondly, we have freedom. Verse 17, now the Lord is spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But unfortunately, all too often, we misunderstand what freedom is. And we turn freedom simply into bondage to different things. I read about a man, Richard Carreno. Uh, in the first service, some of the people actually knew him. They had recognized him. He's serving he the Lord, but let me tell you a story. Richard Carreno, when he was a boy, was attracted to the life of a motorcycle gang. He... Uh, just thought that that looked like freedom to him. The idea of going wherever he wanted, doing whatever he felt like, not abiding abiding by laws, just like out on the highway. He had that song, Born to be Wild, playing like a background track in his mind his whole life. That's what he wanted to be, out on the motorcycle, in a motorcycle gang, and he did that. He joined a gang, and it was fun for a while, but by his own admission, after a while, soon, all it was was a new kind of bondage. It was a false freedom And it brought him to the bondage of lust and drugs and alcohol. It wasn't a happy life. It was only despair. And one day, he was high on drugs but not happy on drugs. You see the difference? He was high on drugs but not happy on drugs. And he took what he decided would be, he thought would be, a fatal dose. And he literally climbed into a dumpster in an alley in the city where he was. And he waited to die but he didn't die. He was dazed in that dumpster. And when he came to his senses, he was there in the filth and his own vomit covering him. He climbed out of that dumpster and started to walk the streets of that city. This was some years ago now. And as he walked the streets of that, streets of that city, he saw a sign for a Billy Graham crusade that was happening that night in the arena. And Richard Corena went into that Billy Graham crusade. And he sat down in that audience. And I envision a little circle of empty chairs around him because <laughs> he still smelled like the garbage and the vomit. And while he listened there to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord got hold of his heart. He accepted Christ that day. And Richard Carreno today is a Bible graduate and he's serving the Lord. And today he's free. That's the freedom that we have. It's not a bondage to lesser things. It is freedom in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, our hope produces Christ-like glory. And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. There's an old chorus that used to go from glory to glory, He's changing me. We are being changed from the inside out. Now, we know that life is about change. On the outside, the change is usually decline, isn't it? Have you looked in the mirror and compared it to your yearbook? The change is decline. But on the inside, it doesn't have to be decline. On the inside, it's from glory to glory as we are more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what the Christian life is meant to be. You can continue to be changed through Jesus Christ, to be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today and more than you were yesterday. But in order to make that happen, something has to click in us. And first it is we have to desire it. We have to want that. We have to decide that it is not okay to skate through the Christian life with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We have to decide that it is not okay to live a certain way in front of our church friends and a certain way in front of our friends that are not in the church. Because we have to decide that all that makes us is a fake and you'll never grow as a fake. And then we have to decide to make private surrender a new priority. Private surrender means being the kind of believer you know God wants you to be when nobody else is around. It means spending time in the Word of God with the question in mind, God, how can this truth transform me rather than, God, give me a verse so I can win my argument. It means gathering for Bible study and prayer time and in the the times in in the worship service with the attitude that's not, let me see if I agree with this guy today or let me see if he can entertain me today, but rather, God, show me what I need to grow today. We need to stop seeing our personal quiet time and devotion time with the Lord as our duty that God will then bless and see it as the way that we get in touch with the God who loves us through and through. And He shows us what we need. You see, we must continue to grow from glory to glory. You're never done. It's never over. We need to be forgiven for that attitude that says somehow we have arrived And if you believe that God isn't wanting to continue to change, or you presume too much and you believe too little, don't miss this truth. God wants to grow continually in you. Why? So that the glory can radiate out, and so that those around you will be touched by His love. Now, Paul writes all of this in this letter that's meant to be read in a church setting just like this. In other words, not one-on-one, not individually, but in a group. That's what they did with this letter. The church convened, they met, they opened up the letter that Paul sent, and then they read this together. Why? Because as they hear it together, just like we are together today, it reminds us of this other truth. Not, Not only is this a personal transformation that must be going on in each one of us, it is a community work. We are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Reading this together, hearing it together side by side reminds us that we're here to help each other to achieve through the use of our gifts, for the opportunities we have for fellowship, for serving side by side, for being there in times of crisis, praying together and assisting us, one another, so that each of us can achieve what God has for us. You see, this is not only a private thing. It is a family thing. And as we, as the family of God, say, this is what I want to be and I want to help you to be, that's when the transformation takes place. From glory to glory, He's changing us. Let's pray together. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we need. And we recognize that we can't do it on our own. We can't achieve it as we're alone. Not only do we need you, but we need each other. And so, Lord, we thank you that you invented the church. We thank you that you called us to be together, to fellowship together, and to live together in this adventure called faith. Lord, we pray that we would be your pure servants. And we ask for forgiveness for the times that we tend to fake it. But Lord, help us not fake it. Help us spur one another on to be the real deal that we need to be so that you are glorified in us. Thank you in advance that you'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. We'll just stand together as we sing. Let's
0: sing
2: together. I need you. You need me. Can we pray.
1: We're going to leave this place, but maybe you're here and there is a need for prayer. Just like we sang about, I pray for you, you pray for me. We have prayer counselors who are waiting by the organ next to the prayer table and they want to pray for you. Maybe it's a decision you're making or a situation that you're facing. Whatever the need, they will pray for you and over you. They don't need to know all your business, God knows, but they'll represent you to the throne of grace. You can slip forward in just a moment, but first let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in this adventure called The Christian Life, we do this side by side and hand in hand, not only with one another but with you as well, and you want us to represent you well. So help us be bold, Lord. Forgive us for the times when courage is lacking, and we pray that as we represent you to a world that's looking on that you would rip down the veil and lives would be changed. Help us accomplish that in your name. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.